Anyway, uh, okay, we have been in this series, uh, Ruined to Renovation, and this is almost the last week. Next week will be the last week, and then I'm off. I'm going to Colorado, and you guys can do whatever you want. I don't care. But I'm going to be out there hiking 500 miles, baby, Denver to Durango. I can't wait. So if I die, you know, I'll have done something, right? And so um, just pray for me as I'm out there. I do Actually, do pray for me. I really am serious about that. I would love to really have a deep and meaningful experience with the Lord out on the trail. So, um, and pray that I find water. It's pretty dry out there right now. Um, anyway, the call of Christ upon his church and upon Christians has been uh, there for quite a while. Jesus gave it to us uh, himself at the end of his ministry in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20 in the Great Commission. And it hasn't changed. It doesn't change, right? He, he, God doesn't get bored with it. He doesn't, uh, he's not indecisive. He's not ADHD. He's not wishy-washy, right? He, he's dead set on his call going out to the church and out to Christians. And his vision is extremely clear. Extremely clear. And we know also that the, that the church hasn't always been about our calling, right? Either individuals or the corporate church at large. We can't, we uh, actually, unlike God, we can be wishy-washy. We can be distracted. We can be disinterested. But our lack of, uh, of attention or our lack of obedience to that call doesn't change the importance of it, right? Doesn't change it at all. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, this is an inaugurational statement, right? This is like Jesus standing up in front of the cameras on inauguration today and saying, I've become king. Right? If you watch the crown, you saw the queen inaugurated in that big ceremony. This is Jesus' inaugurational statement. He goes, I've got all the power. I've got all the authority in heaven and on earth. And this is why I can tell you to do what I'm about to tell you to do. And he says, therefore, go. And if you've been around the church long enough, you know that that can be better translated as as you go, as you are going about life. Right? It's got a twofold Meaning to it, though, I think, as you're going about life, as you're going around bumping into people at the post office, at the grocery store, at work, out at Linwood Park and our kingdom opportunities, in your community group, wherever, your neighbors next door, whatever you're doing, as you're going, bumping into people, you're going to do what Jesus has called you to do, right? But it also has a second aspect to it that is intentional. Because there are places in the world that we don't want to go. I was just reading... Uh, G.K. Chesterton, Orthodoxy. I was surprised at how funny he is when he writes. I thought it would be a dry old book, whatever, but he was really funny. And he said he always wanted to write this book about a, an English guy who starts in England and wants to go uh, you know, discover Africa. So he takes this boat and he ends it up not realizing he ends up back in England. And he says, wouldn't it be nice to discover Africa without having to actually go to Africa? He goes, because, you know, the different culture, different tastes, different smells, you just, you know, you don't want to go have to deal with all that. It'd be nice to land back in your own country and be like, wow, this is Africa, right? So there are places that we don't want to go. I mean, did Kim and I really want to go to Indonesia? Not really. I mean, it was nice, but geez, you know, like who wants to go live in another culture where you're feeling like culture shock all the time and then people are always looking at you and always poking at you? For an introverted wife, that was a nightmare. For me, it was kind of a nightmare at times, 
Right? There are places that we don't always want to go. And God says, I intentionally want you to make the decision to go there. There are things that we do here in our own culture, in our own place, that we intentionally have to make the decision to go to. There are times when I don't want to go to my community group. But after I go, I always am really happy. Right? There are times that I don't want to go to a, a, an, an event out in the community. But I'm a pastor and I need to go. And I'm always happy I went. Right? Something always happens when I show up, when I make the decision. And that's, that's what he's saying. Therefore, go. He's telling you, go do it. Go do ministry. That's exactly what he's saying. And then he says, what do we do in those, we make disciples. Right? And that is the proclamation part, by the way. That's Jesus saying, go and tell people about me. Go tell people the message of the gospel. Go tell people that I am creating freedom for them, giving life to them. That is the proclamation part. Go and make disciples. Now, do those disciples have all their theological ducks in a row at that moment? No, they don't. But go and tell the basic message of the gospel. Make disciples. See that people come to Jesus. See that people know Jesus, right? Of who? Of all nations, he says. That's the next phrase. Nations being ethnic groups, ethne. It's not nations in the political boundaries. It is nations in the sense of cultural, linguistic borders. That's the places we don't always want to go to, right? So we want to go make disciples of all nations. Not just the people around this area, but all the nations out there, all the ethnic groups, all the people groups out there, right? By the way, we're doing that in Beirut and Syria as a church. Uh, Jen and Kathleen both went, and that was intentional, They made that intentional decision to go and do that, right? And then what do we do? We baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in the name of this triune God, this one God uh, expressed in three persons, right? And we baptize them. There's no magic in baptism, but baptism is just an outward expression of of an inward reality. So somebody comes to faith, and we want to identify them. See, Jesus wants you to be identified to all the people around you that you are one of his followers. You can't do it in secret. I just met a guy I'm going to tell you about in a little while. who has. He says he has all these born-again Christian friends, and he says, I, I can't stand them. They're all, you know, he uses colorful language. And he said, you know, they're all washed up. And he says, you know, whenever I got around... Um, you know, their pastor, they would say, hey, hey, let's not talk about whatever, whatever, whatever. So they would live one life with him and then they live another life at church. That's not, that's not being born again. That's not walking with the Lord. And it's a terrible witness to this guy. And you'll hear more about that in a minute. But anyway, so baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we're baptizing them because there has been an inward change. Something's happened to these people, Right? And I did that. You don't have to be baptized to be saved, but it is, if you can do it, you should do it. And by the way, if you want to do it, you better do it soon because uh, when the winter comes, we have to do it outside and you don't want to be cold. So if you want to do it, I'll happily set it up for you. But anyway, um, but then what, what does he say? And teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And I'm with you to the end of the age. Everything that I've commanded you mean, that's the spiritual formation process. That's the part that doesn't let us off the hook. That's the part that doesn't let me be a cultural Christian. That's the part that says that I can't live with Jesus and walk with Jesus for 20 years and not work on my spiritual formation. By the way, leadership, national leadership, I I was so encouraged that they were mad. That Phil Strout was a little bit cranky about the fact that people 
don't get this. Because I get a little cranky about it. So it was nice to see your leader <laughs> getting cranky about something you get cranky about. God bless you guys that you put up with my crankiness, by the way. But this series has had to do with that spiritual formation. And that obviously is not a self-serving spiritual formation in order that we just feel blessed, you know. Rather, it's a transformation into Christ's likeness for the purposes of Christ's calling on the church. And Jesus has this crazy notion that he's in charge. And he would be right when he says that, right? He's not just Savior. He is also Lord. And we've talked about that in the last few weeks. He gets all of me for his purposes. He doesn't get 10% of me. He doesn't even get 95% of me, right? He doesn't get me just on Sundays or in a community group meeting during the week. He doesn't just get 10% of my money. He gets all of it, right? He gets every single moment of every single day of my existence. He gets all that I am. He is king. I have moved from being a slave to, a slave to sin to a slave to righteousness. I am all His and absolutely should be given over to His purposes as, for my life as short as that little blip on the screen of history is. Because that's all it is. <laughs> I'm like a dot, right? I'm not that big of a dot. And it's not just me as an individual, it's me and you, right? It's individuals make up the body of Christ. It's, this is also a spiritually formative call on the local church. That's what it is. Again, for the purposes that as we go about life, both just bumping into people, but also intentionally, we make disciples of all people groups, of all people, baptizing in the name of this triune God who is revealed to us in the Scriptures, teaching them to obey everything that He has commanded us in the assurance that He is with us to the very end of the age until our corporate calling is complete. Mission will end. Worship will never end. And that being, that, that corporate calling being that a representation of all people groups will worship before the throne of God at the end of time. That we see this in, in the book of Revelation. The Spirit of God working through the transformative work of the Word revealed to us the heart of the Father sort of expressed in order that we would understand His character, that we would emulate His character to others, and that we would live as light in this calling. Which, by the way, makes our message one of life and death importance. Life and death importance. As Augustine said, our souls are restless until we find rest in Him. And rest in Him is actually found in His living out of His purpose for our lives. A life and death purpose. No one else has that kind of a purpose ascribed to their lives. Maybe a fireman. You know, he runs into a building for that one moment and he saves a life, right? Well, the culture's on fire all the time and we are always running in and out saving lives. That's our calling. That's how important it is. And you never know. You never know who's listening. You never know when you get to share the moment. You never know when you get the chance to share who Jesus is to somebody. At the hotel this week, I met a man who owns car dealerships all across the tri-state area. And growing up in New Jersey, I knew his name really, really well. I won't say it today just for, out of respect, but his name was very prominent since he had car dealerships everywhere. He's a big dog. Big dog. Like, he's not a little puppy, right? 
This guy had some, some chutzpah about him, right? An old, uh, he wouldn't mind me saying this, by the way, but he's an old angry Catholic, ex-Catholic. He never goes to church. He doesn't want to go to church. He told the priest where to go one day in very colorful terms. But he has car dealerships from South Jersey up into New York State. And the conversation that we had really quickly just turned deep. I was sitting there, and the Holy Spirit, this guy sits down, and I looked over at him, and the Holy Spirit said, talk to him. And, I, and so we started talking, and it quickly went to life, and, you know, family, and reconciliation, and the 9-11, and all this kind of stuff, and his dis- dissatisfaction with the Catholic Church, and all that kind of stuff. And I listened to him really strongly, and, I, and I, was, I was struck by his honesty, I was struck by his thoughtfulness. He really thought through life there was a lot going on in this guy, a ton, and he has a lot of influence over a lot of people. So that influence is coming out all the time. And I was able to remind him of the gospel. And I was able to (laughs) remind him that he had left it behind, that he had given up on it. And maybe he never really fully got it. And he needs to think about that. And before we ended the conversation, I asked if I would have the honor of praying over him, and I did. And it was so nice. Man, I I was so appreciative that he would listen to me. That, and I felt really blessed just by that interaction. And later that night, I met his girlfriend. I walked out and I saw him again outside. And he said, oh, my girlfriend's in there by the bar. Go say hi to her. So I went in and said hi to her. And, and uh, she immediately, she said, <laughs> she said what, what do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor. She goes, you're a pastor? What? And I'm like, yeah. She goes, written out really? You're a pastor? I'm like, yes, I'm a pastor. I go, it's hard to believe I know. And she goes, would you do our wedding? <laughs> and like right away, she was like, this is just so great, a pastor with dreadlocks. I'm like, well, I'm a little bit more than my dreadlocks. Like, I hope I have a little bit more meat to me than that. You know, and we had this good laugh and everything. But she did. She asked me if I would do their wedding and all this kind of stuff. But go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations, right? Take the risk. Be ready to give an answer for your faith that you profess as the answer to this life and death issue of existence. And in order to be ready for that, in order to be ready to do that well, right? Do it not well if you have to. I don't care. But in order to be, do, be able to do that well, we're talking about a constant moving into the heart of Christ, right? That's what we're talking about in this whole thing. Allowing His Word and allowing His Spirit to change us as wrenching and countercultural that may be at times for us. A life of faith where we believe Him that His is truly the way of freedom in this world. Whether it concerns our thoughts, our feelings, our will, our heart, our, our, our spirit, our body, our social relations, or all the, you know, that thing that brings it all together, our soul. Using our imagination to grasp what kingdom life can be as our true reality as we see the kingdom of God come to earth as it is in heaven. We see moments like that where the kingdom breaks into somebody's life and they're changed. And I fully believe that guy's going to be changed and I'll tell you why later. So it matters. It matters what we do. It matters how we live. 
But we've got to remember, what we do is born out of who we are becoming or who we are in the moment. If we're becoming Christ-like, it means we naturally are given over to the things that Jesus would do for people. Right? Living out of His calling. Living out of His vision. Living out of His purpose for us. As John 3 says, this is the verdict. This is it. Like the the hammer goes down, right? The gavel falls. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. It's as simple as that. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't overintellectualize it. That is it. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they do, what they have done has been done in the sight of God. And light is energy and knowledge. That's what light is in this context. Light is energy and knowledge. And in the spiritually transformed person, that energy isn't invested in legalistic, angry morality in simply just avoiding all the wrong things, doing all the wrong things, that, as a matter of fact, is not really on the mind of the spiritually transformed person. Rather, their mind is taken up with doing what is good. That's what's on their heart. That's what's on their mind. Doing what is good. Almost without thinking. Good becomes the natural order of things. It becomes a natural way of doing things. That's the difference between the legalistic heart and the spirit-filled heart. The legalistic, you know, moralistic, religious guy just tries to avoid all the bad things all the time and barks about it and gets angry with everybody. The Spirit-filled life just loves Jesus and loves people. They don't even have to avoid all those things because they're not going in that direction. There's a big difference, right? The spiritually formed person has learned to orient and order everything in their life towards Jesus. You know, last week we talked about the law and and the misconception that it's a negative thing that we're just released from under Jesus. That was not a truth statement, you know, that people have made over time. Nothing could be farther from the truth. God's standards as expressed in His law are good and holy and life-giving. And obedience to the law goes hand in hand with redemption under grace. Christians should be about the law of God, the, the beautiful, wonderful law of God. Although, for those still living in darkness, the law is a negative thing, given that it denies them exactly what they want to do, or what they want to set their hearts upon. So what your heart's set upon is the matter. Is it set upon light, or is it set upon darkness? If darkness then you have to spend your whole life evading the law, evading Jesus, in order to do what you want to do and not be found out. But as you come into the light of Jesus, though, the more natural it is to be loving and good, you know, light to the world around you, overflow of a changed heart. There's a big difference. Ephesians 5, 8-17 tells us, For you were once darkness. You, Christian, you who have given your life to Jesus, You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. 
Live as children of light. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness. In other words, being connected to God and truth. And there is truth, by the way. There is truth. No matter what everybody tells you out there, there is truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Isn't that spiritual formation? Dig into it. Find out what God says to you. Dig into the Scriptures. Dig into life with the Holy Spirit. Ask Him to speak to you. Go and talk to the guy that's been walking with Jesus for 30 years. Ask Him, where are we going with this whole thing? Dig into it. Find out what pleases the Lord. And then do it. Live as children of light. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And this is a great line. And remember this line because I'm going to bring it up. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Everything that is illuminated becomes a light, right? And this is why it is said, I love this, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. Amen. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Are you listening to this? Do you feel it when you read this, right? Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity. Be cognizant of what's going on around you. People are in need of Jesus. I don't care how embarrassed you are to tell it. Take the risk. When's the last time you felt uncomfortable in your faith? You should. You should, you should feel a little bit scared when you step out in faith. Amen, right? Take the risk, right? Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Get into it, right? I love that, right? That line. Everything illuminated becomes a light, right? I was, I was uh, out driving one night and I saw this tombstone in the middle of a cemetery and it was glowing green. I thought, that's kind of strange. I didn't want to walk out there alone, so I went and got my buddy. I said, hey, let's go check this out. So we walked out, because I was afraid of the ghosties, right? This is when I was like 18, 19 years old. And as we got closer, we realized that this this tombstone was perfectly situated to catch this green light from a farmhouse like a couple hundred yards away. And it was the only one. It just, boom, it just caught it perfectly. And it was just glowing, right? And it was really cool. Um... But it reflected the light so strongly that everything around the ground around it was just lit up. But my point is that we have more than that. We're not just reflecting the light. We have the light of Christ which is emanating from within us. You, if you're, you've come to Christ, you've become light, right? Jesus is in you. The Holy Spirit resides in you. You have the word of the living God in you. You know more about Jesus' message than the guy next to you. So the real question is, what is on the inside of us? Not, not what's on the outside. The outside's a result of the inside. Like Jesus said to us last week, he said, you know, I forget the verse. I won't even try. But you remember. For the believer, that inside is transformed over time to reflect Jesus on the outside. It just emanates from us, right? <clears throat> and other, under the light of Christ, this joyous conviction... And resistance of sin is based upon the new and the sort of real vision of what sin really is. A damaging juggernaut which brings death. 
Whether that juggernaut is, is traveling at 500 miles an hour, you're cheating on your wife or whatever, or it's just like a glacial movement one inch at a time where you're just being judgmental of people all the time. Right? Either way, it is bringing death. And even, you know, like, the, you know, the illusion that that God is some cosmic killjoy, that he's just, you know, sitting up there arbitrarily pro- pro- prohibiting all the fun stuff, that gets dispelled in Jesus. That gets dispelled in the spiritual formation process. Instead, we, we see with gratitude at that moment that his prohibitions are actually a kindness to us. Which they bring freedom and they bring life to me. Even when they fly in the face of our cultural inclinations, what everybody says is so important out there. Faith is a change from a life sentence to life abundant, right? Our outward character is simply a reflection of what lies underneath the surface in our hearts and our soul. So do you realize that your calling, along with all the other Christians sitting around you right now, is found in that great commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. The question is, is light overflowing to, to others from you, from your changed heart with Jesus? Is it happening? Is it naturally happening? Because let me tell you something. God has thought of you. <laughs> he thinks of you a lot. God has commissioned you. He's commissioned you. He sent you out on a mission, right? To be his instrument to bring light to others through the gospel truth in your, in, that you bump into. That's something you can't hide. Even if you tried, like Jesus said, you know, about the city on the hill, right? You can't, you can't hide a city on a hill. You're going to shine, right? You're going to shine in the darkness. Matthew chapter 5, by the way. And right now, right now, who tells you what is right and what is good and what is life-giving in society? Well, there's no way to say this nicely, and I'm not even going to try. I don't mean to be a jerk. I'm not here to, like, be a negative Nancy, right? But there's no way to say it nicely. Those that tell us what is right and good and life-giving are the godless, cultural, elite, and intellectual, those in power who are governed only by their own human-centered philosophies and worldview. That is the message across the board out there. Our musicians, our artists, our scientists, our politicians, our professors, our thinkers, or whatever, not all of them, mind you, but many of them, And it's not that they're bad people. It's not that they're jerks. It's not that they're insincere. They are very sincere. They're not stupid. I'm not saying they're stupid. They're very intelligent people. They're not my enemy. They're not your enemy. But they are living the way that they think is right and good and life-giving. And they're telling you what that is. They wholeheartedly preach their gospel, which, by the way, is contrary to the heart of God revealed in the Scriptures. It always is. Now, we don't usually perpetuate an us-versus-them attitude at 6-8. I'm not here to do that today necessarily. But at times as believers, we do have to identify, I think it is healthy to identify that there is a difference between the Christian and the non-Christian at times. 
We do have the Holy Spirit. We do have something people need. We have the light of Christ within us. There is a difference. That's not an arrogant statement. It's not a prideful statement. It's just an axiomatic truth. That's all it is. And even when they get close to getting it right, it's still wrong. The humanistic worldview is like trying to drive from here to California on a flat tire. It's, it's like making beef stroganoff without the main ingredient, beef. It's like me packing a 400 miles of food and, and instead of 500 for my trip next week. It's just not going to get me there. In his arrogance, John Lennon said the Beatles were more popular than Jesus, and that is a sentiment that is being perpetuated by many people in, in fame and, for, you know, and all that stuff out there today. What, what influencers espouse as moral and acceptable is consumed by the masses without a thought like baby birds with their mouth open wait, waiting for a worm. Christians got to think. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Not me. Jesus. Right? One day, everyone will know that. Someday, everybody will know that sentiment. You know, and... And they will bow their knee to Christ, John Lennon included. Right? We are not anti-science. We are not anti-intellectual. We are not anti-this, anti-that. We are only anti-arrogance before the Creator God of the world. We are only pro-Jesus in the fact that He brings life to everybody, and we want them to know that. Some strong thinkers out there see the contradiction of their worldview. And I've told the story before of David Foster Wallace. I won't retell it again today. But he saw that. He was a big, deep thinker, you know, a, a, a literature guy. And, you know, he saw how humanity's sin was, I don't know if he would use the word sin, but he, he saw how humanity's sin was just eating us up. Just everybody was violent and mean and this undercurrent of, of just things deteriorating. But David Foster Wallace killed himself. Because he didn't have Jesus as the answer to his hopelessness. It is that simple. I'm sorry, it is. Jesus is the hope of the world. David's answer was the naive, be nice, be nice. Well, I'm sorry. It's impossible to just be nice at any sustained level without the transformation in Christ, of Christ in your heart. Our calling's that important. It's that important. And when the church acts in disobedience, becoming anemic, those who don't know God take over the cultural microphone telling everyone what they think think is right or good and what they believe gives life. And as sincere and, and as close as they get, they still miss the main ingredient, and that is Jesus. They still miss it. And for those of us truly walking with Jesus, we are saddened to the core, not only of that fact, but also for the fact that pedophile priests and sexually deviant or greedy pastors are the only representation of Christ in the community, in society at all. And that kills me, makes me mad. 
made Phil Strout mad. Jesus' name drugged through the mud for people who've not built up any spiritual formation themselves, any muster, any core strength. We've failed in many ways over history, and now more than ever, it's important not only what we say, but how we live. And it must be as children of light that are transformed by the power of Christ if we're going to have any integrity and any credibility to share Jesus and effectively save lives from the burning building of culture. They have to see Jesus in us. Many of you work out, right? You work out. Yeah, you do. You Big workout guy. Tanner works out a lot. And you are devoted probably because it's the new fad, Right? in the belief that your core strength is like the most important thing to develop physically. That out of that, you can build on everything else. That that's the most important thing. And the same is true in the spiritual life. Our core inner strength must be from the transformative work of Christ in our lives, like turning up the dimmer switch on this light in us. Phil Strout told three stories this week of trees on his property. Apparently he loves trees and he has this big property up in Maine. I was kind of jealous. But firstly, he told a story of an apple tree that was just in full bloom. It was beautiful. It was fruitful. It looked, it looked perfectly healthy, right? So he, told, he, he started talking about that. Secondly, he started talking about it, this giant 100-year-old uh, pine tree that just was majestic and towered over his property and loved that tree, right? And thirdly, of a small hardwood tree which had grown up in the branches of another big pine tree, sort of like, you know, like as if the pine was holding it up, right? Sort of like it was a scaffolding. And one day he lightly bumped, just barely, barely bumped with his lawnmower, this little apple tree, and and it snapped off, just, just snapped totally off at the base. And, it was, and what he saw was that it was totally and absolutely hollow on the inside. That it only had about a quarter of an inch of wood all around underneath the bark. That it was just that fragile, right? It had no core strength about it whatsoever. And then this giant towering pine that like stood so tall and so majestic blew over in a six-minute uh, windstorm only because it didn't have any roots that went more than five inches below the ground. They just spread way out. They didn't go deep at all. And then finally, that last tree stayed standing after the, the pine, which it was entangled in, fell. But that was in the winter. And when the spring came and the leaves came out on that little tree, it just couldn't even hold the weight. It just bent over and died. Because it had relied too much on the scaffolding of that large pine. These are the images of many of us in the church, right? Not necessarily here, but in in the church of God across the world. Possibly even whole Christian communities. The, The core spiritual fiber isn't there. The roots aren't deep in Jesus or the scaffolding, the entrapments of cultural Christianity, your bank account, your job, or whatever you rely on as your identity outside of Jesus They're all deceiving you and not building core strength. Could be the case. I'm not accusing you necessarily, but it could be the case. Strength in Christ doesn't come by magic. It's there, it's available. 
But it needs to be developed hand in hand with the Holy Spirit through the power of the living word over time, changing you. If not, one small bump knocks you over, one small storm and you topple, take your support system away and you bend over and you die. You don't have the spiritual strength to stand up on your own. And so he reminded us that we need to think about three things, character, creed, and culture. Creed is scripture just needed a C apparently, right? Character, creed, and culture. To be concerned first for character that this, this spiritual formation process that we're all talking about, the whole package. Jesus has all authority over you. Just because He doesn't force you to growth doesn't mean that negates His authority to call you into growth. Just because He's not dictatorial doesn't give up license give you license for disobedience. Characters developed with time in a thousand small decisions in the crucible of life. Every day last week, I rode my motorcycle past uh, this big old steel factory um, on the way to the church from the hotel. I had this great sign, crucible. It was a cool sign. I really I wanted to tear it off the building and bring it home with me. Just crucible, you know? And, and the Holy Spirit said, Jason, pay attention to that sign. Because the spiritual life is a crucible. It is, it is one in which the dross and the impurities are burned out of us. And we're left with something pure and solid and beautiful, right? Spend time with Jesus. Develop yourself, right? Make those small decisions day, every day, all day long, which, you know, sort of care, that carry you deeper within Him and make you ready to be used for His purposes. Secondly, we need to get back to creed. I was really happy he said this, which is a devotion to Scripture, right? And he asked us, do we still ask, what do the Scriptures say? Or is that a lost question? Do we still ask, what do the Scriptures say? Have we, have we given up the nonsense of explaining away scriptural truth through the lens of popular culture? Oh, well, that was true for them back then, but we are moderns. We're much more intelligent. We've progressed. B.S. B.S. We have to realize that God's character isn't progressive in issues of morality and standard. They're not. It's not. It doesn't change. The principles of Scripture are supracultural. They are supercultural. They rise above culture, right? They, they're true at all times, everywhere, to all cre- cultures, to all creatures, to all peoples, at all times, like a timeless love song which speaks to the human condition that we all share. Do the Scriptures have authority in your life? And if not, how can you believe anything? You can't. Where is the solidity? You can't have any. You have nothing to stand on. Nothing absolutely to stand on. It all falls apart. Do we allow the Scriptures to trump our inclinations even when they challenge some things in our culture hold so dear? When it calls us to reorient ourselves in ways which challenge our cultural affinities. What everybody else out there is telling us is right and good is not necessarily right or good. We have to allow the Scriptures to speak. We must, or we will topple over. Thirdly, we should be aware of our surroundings, aware of our culture, right? Fully alert, present, thinking, 
right? Able to define culture to our church, to other Christians, and also to define church to the culture around us. We should know what we're faced with. And I'm not talking about being informed by the news. That's just information and opinion at best, and maybe even just the opiate of the masses at this point. I'm talking about understanding worldview, understanding philosophies, understanding cultural shifts, understanding how we all think out in society, understanding the influences that form and shape us, measuring all that against the Scriptures. I have some books for you to read. You should be a reader at this point in history. I'll tell you what, I've been saying to people lately, this is the hardest time to pastor a church right now. Now, maybe they would have said the same thing 200 years ago. But I feel like it's a pretty hard time right now with all the garbage we're going through politically and out in the world and everything else. I'm up for the task, though. Not because I'm so all that, but because I believe Jesus has the answers. Right? I'm talking about discernment and wisdom in spiritual and human matters as informed by the Scriptures. Ready always to give an answer for what we believe. Character, creed, and culture. Do you have core strength? Are, you, are your roots going deep in Jesus? Are you relying on the scaffolding or not? Walk in obedience to the light of Christ and you will be useful in the hands of God. That is the, the simple truth. Let me end with another story. It's a good story. Going back a number of years, there was a, a high school girl that came here. She came... Uh, briefly and sporadically. I'm going to cry on this one. I loved her to death. I loved her to death. As I know a few of you, you did that knew her at the time. Her mom, as we got to know her during the time that we were acquainted, her mom went to jail because she got drunk and threw this girl down the stairs. And the mom was an alcoholic, obviously. And I felt for this girl so strongly just as she was in the world all alone. I hated it. Hated it. And I shared Jesus with her, and, and I'm sure you did, that knew her. I, I prayed for her. I wanted her so badly to know Jesus and to know the, the, the love he had for her and the freedom that he had for her, but she seemed sort of lost. She seemed sort of closed. I, I wasn't sure where she stood in faith. She was a very pretty girl, and I, want, I had boundaries that I needed to uphold. I didn't want anybody to... to make any comments that way. So I, you know, I kept appropriate boundaries with her and all that kind of stuff. But I just didn't know and all this kind of stuff. And then her mother went to jail. And this family took her in. And I was concerned that it was not a totally healthy atmosphere for her for various reasons. And she stopped coming to church. And I assumed somebody, one of us, had offended her. Or maybe, maybe it was me. Maybe it was something I said in, one, in a sermon or what I said to her privately at one point or something like that. Or, or that she was just duly influenced by this family, you know, away from Jesus or just life took over, whatever it was. I assumed she didn't want to come back. She didn't have any time for this Jesus stuff. And I lost track of her as she eventually moved away. But I've thought of her often over the years. And I actually even thought of her last week before I went to the conference. Fast forward to that conference, and I met a couple from Boston, a pastor couple from Boston. And right away, the, the wife said, oh, we've got somebody, one of your people at our church. And I, uh, I said, who? And she, told, she said this girl's name. And she, she said her name, and I, man, I couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't hold back the tears. 
she explained that she attends church, she's very involved, she's on fire for Jesus, and she's even an intern with them now. And I, I just broke down in tears. I just broke down. What a mercy it was to this pastor, right? To, that the Holy Spirit would lead me to that couple at that moment, at that conference, to hear that story. I needed it. I needed to hear that. To know that all my efforts weren't for naught. That something happened, right? Because they explained that she considered us to be her church in Philadelphia and that she considered me to be her pastor. Do you know what it's like when people call you pastor? What a great honor. I take that with all humility. I thought I had offended her. I thought we lost her. But apparently not. Apparently we were a good witness. And I cried more. Right? The absolute grace and justice of a young girl left on her own, mom in jail, dad gone for who knows what reason, and God reaches down into her life and he says to her, you are part of my family now. I am your father. That's a beautiful story. When I get to be a part of it, that's even better. Between that story and the guy at the hotel and his girlfriend, do you think I was concerned about my many first world problems this week? No, I was not. I was walking on clouds. I want more of that. That's what I want. When you're living as a children of light, or a child of light, it is, there is suffering. It is hard. It is exhausting and stretching to make the decisions to do ministry to actually show up and be a part of it to to step across the line and actually say something to somebody is hard but nothing is is exhilarating is sharing jesus nothing and especially when the spirit moves to make that connection with somebody and that you see their lives transformed and changed nothing is can compare to that so let's end today in quiet meditation. I, I, I'd love, I want to read Scripture. I just want to bathe you guys in Scripture. I want you to close your eyes. And I want to bathe you in Scripture. I, w- I want you to listen intently. I'm going to be reading from Ephesians 5 and Matthew 28. And I just want you to listen. And if there's anybody here today that needs to come up for prayer, that you just want to recommit your life, that you want to walk with Jesus at this deeper level, that you want to take risks, that you want to live in faith, that you want to be obedient instead of disobedient, that you want to like confess something, whatever you want to do, that you need to be healed of something, a bitterness that's holding you back in your walk, whatever it is, come on up. Come right up here. I'll pray for you. Or come up to the prayer room. They'll pray for you. Whatever you want to do. Just come up and do it. All right? Let's close our eyes now. Holy Spirit, come. Come and break through our hard exterior. Ephesians 5. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God.
Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Find out what what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Make the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age.